to Diversity on Screen. Um, my name is Gigi and I'm joined by the lovely Ryan. And this week we're talking about Shang-Chi. Um, yeah, very exciting film that I think many people were so thrilled that came out and also thrilled to watch it. So yeah, how are you today, Ryan? Yeah, I'm great. Again, really excited about this this film because like you just said, I, I was actually very excited for this to come out. Uh, it's been a long time coming. So yeah, very, very excited. Yeah, I think um, this is probably the one you're most excited for in yes. this chapter. <laughs> you you put put this one forward for for us. I don't. I definitely would have watched it otherwise. Um, maybe not so quickly. I think I do. I am loving my Disney Plus subscription. But yeah, I don't know about you. I mean, actually, I do know about you. I do know how much you love Marvel. But I don't know if you know how much I love Marvel. So just to set the scene, I actually um, when my parents got divorced when I was six, you know when. They say when your parents get divorced, you start dating your parent that you don't live with anymore. So like when I would go on these dates of every other weekend with my dad, basically something that's just easy to do with kids is go to the cinema. So I've literally spent like 10 years watching every single Marvel film that ever came out in the cinema with my nice. dad and my brother. So I've seen them all. And you know what? In the beginning, it was sort of against, it was against my will probably a little bit, but now... You know what, I, I love it when I go with my girlfriends. I'm like, do you know this character is actually from Iron Man 3? <laughs> and I literally feel so cool. <laughs> so I'm definitely, yeah. I'm not a comic book reader. The only comic I've actually ever read was Harley Quinn's one because I got so obsessed, tragic, with the Joker and Harley Quinn after Suicide Squad came out. I was like, oh my God, like toxic love story. I love this. <laughs> oh no. Um, but yeah, that's that that's me. But yeah, this is definitely your area of expertise. Yes. So take it away. So yeah, I've been a comic book reader for I can't even remember how long. I grew up with reading it a lot. Um so yeah, I've been immersed in comic book and Marvel universes for as long as I can remember. So mm -hmm. Shang-Chi for me growing up with these comics was kind of always presented as a, a side character. He obviously had his own series and his own different runs and different writers and artists and stuff, but it was never like recommended to me. And that I actually went out of my own way to read a lot of Shang-Chi stuff and, and stuff that he was a main character in. And so when it was announced that there was going to be a film about him, I was like, oh, yes. Finally. Your Marvel prayers have been answered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings was made. Yeah, I'd never, I before the film came out, never heard of him, never heard of anything. Didn't really even realise I'd actually heard of the Mandarin, which I guess mm. we can talk on later. But yeah. So we open on like a flashback scene, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Of Zhu Wenwu, thousands of years in the past. And he discovers these ten rings, which... Which are bracelets. Are basically bracelets, yeah. Just like big <laughs> chunky bracelets that he has on both his hands. They are not rings. That's not where <laughs> rings go. I thought that when I was watching it and then they talked about it on, um, what's it called? Honest Trailers and I just screamed. Oh. Sorry, sorry, I'm interrupting. No, no, so yeah, he just like gets these godly powers from these rings and he, he basically goes around conquering parts of, china and, and and stuff like that and he conquers kingdoms and topples governments mm -hmm. um and creates this this uh organization basic based around 10 rings who throughout the years you know who operate as a secret organization when we then basically goes and searches for the basic origins of these rings in a place called tao lo but is he, that what he was doing i thought yeah. he was going to like conquer their world as well I didn't, I didn't yeah. know he didn't he, know that. He originally, in his first thought was, oh, I want to go there and conquer it and, you know, see if I can get more power from this place. But he comes into contact with this woman mm. who he ends up fighting in a very well choreographed martial art dance it scene. Was stunning, wasn't it? It, it was, was so good. It was beautiful. And I, I, I loved it. I it was so that. good. So, so well choreographed, colourful as well just yeah just a really well done scene and he basically just falls in love with her yeah sorry just to touch on that sort of dance slash fight scene i was reading that 
I mean, you probably know a little more about this than me, that they normally um, sort of contract out their sort of fight scenes because the directors they choose are these big blockbuster, mm. you know, directors who don't necessarily deal with like magical fight scenes. But apparently they did that less for Shang-Chi and that's why the fight scenes in it are so good. And I thought, yeah, that, that first fight between him and her I feel like is that first sort of introduction between the opposition between sort of this toxic masculinity and this divine femininity and you know the way she sort of moves and with mm. her hair and for me she represents divine femininity the way she's intertwined with the earth and the environment and the way she obviously is like a giver of life I thought that was the first sort of part where I really really saw them literally fighting yeah um, so we like kind of skip on a bit where they've fallen in love uh they have a child the child grows up and then he has a, a sister uh so they these two are shang chi and zhu zhaoling what i thought was really cool with the intro was that it was subtitled that it was yes all yes mandarin or, or chinese i'm not sure which language and i think for me the world's sort of attitude towards subtitles i think has changed so absolutely yeah because I think there's that quote, isn't there, from Bong Joon-ho, who's like, oh, um, Donald Trump would have loved this film if he could have got, gotten over the one-inch barrier, something like that, and how there's this whole, yeah, I thought it was really, really magical that they let, that, that I, it shouldn't even be that they let, that they mm. stayed in the film's actual roots, like it is a Chinese character, it, he, it, his language should be a part of the film, and I yeah. thought that was, I really, really liked that. Yeah, throughout the film, they, they, re- they, like go back to speaking Mandarin with English subtitles. Uh, so, yeah, I, I thought a blockbuster Marvel film doing that is just so good. And like you said, I think Western audiences are becoming more open to reading subtitles with with the like Parasite coming out and uh, Squid Game. I know there was an English dub of Squid Game, but I, I think most people might have watched it in... Did you watch Squid Game? You watched Dubbed. No, I don't watch dubbed. Okay. I can't stand dubbed. I, I, I can't, can't stand it. Stand watching dubbed. No. I just—it's a bit like you know when you—I don't know, like when I used to have like a, a dodgy CD or something, and the sound would be completely out of time with their yeah. mouths. It just drives me like up the wall. I just can't. I can't. I don't know how people do it. And I, <laughs> yeah. And I think subtitled it's so, is always better. It is, and I think the interesting thing as well is, yeah, you mentioned Squid Game. If you look at the Netflix top 10 now, and I don't know why I was scrolling through it last night. I was I was literally looking for something to do. But it, there's so many foreign language films in there. So there's obviously Money Heist was huge. Squid Game, The Innocent, I don't know if you've seen that. It's I'm watching it at the moment. It's another, like, that, um, the guy who did, like, The Stranger and um, Stay Close. Mm. He's done, like, a Spanish film. And I can't remember, but there were, I literally saw maybe five or six films that were in there that were foreign language films. And I think if you look back a year or even two years, I do not re- recall ever. I think Money Heist was the first foreign language TV show I watched, which is, have you watched Money Heist? No. Oh, it's, I'd really, really, really recommend it, especially okay. because I think it's so nice that we're seeing this like real shift and that cinema is becoming a bit more global rather than Western dominated. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really nice to see. I think one of the f- the first like series that I watched that was like subtitles was Narcos. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, of course, that was really really good. Yeah, I don't know why I haven't finished it. I know it's so good, but I'm just really struggling to finish it. <laughs> has come there's out. just so much to watch nowadays. Like there is so much. There's absolutely so much. So after all that, we we wake up with. Shang-Chi, but he is now going as Sean because he's in America. He's in San Francisco and he he wakes up, he gets ready, he puts on his tie and he just does a bunch of press ups. I thought that was so random <laughs> and uncalled for for like this. Like, you know, when you watch films and like there's those there's those characters who get up in the morning and do press ups before mm. they go out. Like I'm thinking of like Tony from Skins or like I don't know, like I don't know, some, definitely a million films that Tom Cruise has been in. Yeah. I that was really out of place for his character. <laughs> wake up and start doing topless press-ups. I thought that was, like, he's meant to be like a really chilled, like, ballet guy. Mm. And, then, and then, of course, he picks up that card, doesn't he, from his sister, or, or not. The, yeah, um, the, the postcard that's got... The postcard with the dragon on. Ooh. It doesn't have anything written on it, does it? No, it's just got the address. Mm, yeah. 
which yeah we'll get into to later. be continued yeah <laughs> so yeah the next scene is this really nice car pulls up expensive car man st steps out you instantly think it's sean but it zooms up pans up rather and it's not it's some rich guy maybe that's why they did the press up thing to sort of lead you along that sort of path maybe Possibly. Yeah. yeah and then yeah. it pans over to to sean and he's in his valet suit with katie who's played by aquafina aquafina yeah. um and yeah he's a valet in san francisco <laughs> i don't know what you what yeah. to make of that yeah well yeah. then she has that hilarious thing with the revving the car doesn't she yeah she gets in and she's like oh can i drive it can i drive it i found throughout the film she was sort of like there to give us cheap laughs and like yeah. at first i was like trying to resist them and then towards the end i was like you know what this is this is quite funny like yeah you mentioning earlier that he's called Sean in his new life and she's like Sean you were hiding from your dad and you renamed yourself Sean that'd be like if I was called Michael and my hidden name was mine which is you know I was actually reading an article it's like the top 10 worst Marvel jokes of all time mm. and it was in there but I can say hand on heart I shrieked with laughter when I heard that yeah. the that's, that's a good joke I she's a very good comedic relief sometimes yeah it can be like cheesy cheesy laughs but yeah, I think it, it works for this like context. Mm. So they end up joyriding this expensive car. And then they're going for dinner with their friend. Yeah, they go go with their friend and her current partner and, and she's talking to them about, you know, she's all grown up now. Why why are they two still valeting and, you know, going out every night and partying and just going back to their job in the morning? And yeah, it's kind of, you know, indicative of our generation well i say our generation uh millennial and like gen z or kind of gen z is at the moment that we we do do all this working in low paid jobs and stuff and then just go and spend the money and party and stuff like that when when we should be grown up and you know get these grown up jobs and and settle down and stuff like that in a way it's like saying you need to grow up no, I think, I think it's interesting because I say this to my friends. I'm like, how much longer can we say adulting? Are we, you oh, know, I don't like that word. <laughs> I know. I'm, you know, we're pushing 24. I'm pushing 24. Like a lot of my friends are 25, 26. And we're like, oh, like how much longer is your mum going to pay your phone bill? Do you know? <laughs> 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 what, like you're in a full-time job. Like you can do it. Like I believe in you. Yeah. I saw that in them and I saw, you know, some of my friends, I think I, we still felt like a kid at like 25 mm, yeah. and I think, and I think they did then. And I think it's also like quite cool, the changing perspectives on work and how it doesn't necessarily have to just totally consume you anymore. Um, or at least some people don't think it does. Um, and I just liked that. Yeah. I think there's one of the quotes from Katie. She's like, what? So being a grown up means hating my job and hating my life. And I thought that I thought that was, yeah, I, I thought it was so, it was interesting to have that alternative sort of view, which I mm. guess the film is doing to make itself more relatable to our audiences. So I think if you talk to sort of people, you know, who are older than us, like maybe the generation above, a lot of them like from my family anyway, like love work. They're like, if I would win the lottery, like I would still work. And I'm like, I, I would not. No. I would absolutely not. You would not catch me up at my laptop. I would be on the beach, you know? <laughs> and I think it was interesting to see that in such a like mainstream film that, because I think that's the thing with sort of the echo chambers we live in that I thought that maybe that was just sort of me and my friends who were sort of had different perspectives towards that. But I do think it's, yeah, it's wider spread. I mean, they're doing a four day week, working week in Scotland. Like th things are changing. And I thought, that was really cool with their characters and I think you see just sort of how modern it is especially with them like both being friends because I think in the next scene um so then then they <laughs> then they're like oh we should go home and have an early night and then it's yeah. unless and then they uh, go uh, and um, sort of sing along to like old town road and go and get yeah drunk. I go karaoke and get drunk and what? then they fall asleep in the karaoke room but I didn't realize that how expensive it is for you to include popular songs in films and then how it like doubles in price or something if you sing along to it so that must have been a really really expensive because yeah. there's, um, there's a few in there that that katie sings to she she sings they both sing old town road they also sing hotel california yeah, they uh, like go to confusion technique <laughs> I forgot 
about that. <laughs> and then they, they go to the grandmother. And I think up until this point, I had, I wasn't sure if they were friends or not. And then the grandmother is like, when are you going to marry my granddaughter? And he's like, we're just friends. Yeah. And it was, it's of like so modern for it to not be a story about love. And I feel like we saw a shift with that in the cinema with Frozen when it's like, they're not looking for the prince. Like they're looking for true love in their friends. And everyone's like, yay. And I feel like you kind of saw that with this film that I think usually there would be an expectation that at some point in the film, they're going to kiss, you know, yeah. that it's not a perfect film unless there's also love in it, which suggests, you know, that it's not a perfect life unless there's also love in it. When look, plenty of people find love in their friends and, you know, there's also people who aren't interested in romantic relationships. There are people who are asexual who just find, get that from their friendships. And I thought it was really cool because from that moment it was set up that, no, this is not a story about romantic love. This is a story about friendship mm. sort of love and I wasn't expecting them to kiss any point throughout it. And that was sort of taken away from the film. I thought in a really, yeah, in a really, really cool way. I really, really liked that. It just but really good friends, which which was nice to see for once. Mm, it really was. Because I can't think of another film I've seen like that with, especially with them of different genders. Because it kind of became like a buddy film in yeah. a way, which kind of reminded me more of DC, I thought. Because I feel like you see that less with Marvel characters because... With DC, I felt like you had like, I mean, I'm just thinking of Batman and Robin here, but I felt like I can't think of another character in the Marvel Universe who has like such a closely tied to them sidekick, do they? Because there's kind of like, obviously the Avengers all work together, but they're kind of all individuals at the end of the day. I guess even like you might have like Iron Man and Pepper, but again, she's his romantic partner yeah. rather than his friend. Is there another, another body? There's like the the Scarlett Johansson and Jeremy Renner dynamic in in Avengers, as well as mm. like uh, Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans, them being you know lifelong friends in real life. The whole mm. Captain America and Black Widow friendship as well. There's that. But... I guess they all have their own films. Whereas I don't think Aquafina would have her own film. No. Like she wouldn't have her own film. Like they're so. And I don't. I don't think. Do you think? I don't think we'd see a film without Aquafina in it now with him. Which is interesting how they're gonna sort of do it. Mm. And sorry, we're coming away from the plot. Yes, so, but that's fine. Then what? What happens next? So goes to work. He's on the bus. They're both on the bus because they go to work. Yes. And then bus scene. This scene is probably one of my favorite scenes in in recent like Marvel films. It's mm -hmm. a really well choreographed fight scene taking place on a like a double stretchy long bus in San bus. Francisco. So yeah, they're, they're just on the bus and these these guys come up to them and like because Shong he wears a, a pendant that his mum gave him and we find out his sister also has the same pendant and they they come up to him and they go give me your pendant he's like no and he tries to grab for it and then all of a sudden shang chi comes out with all of this like amazing fighting choreography and stuff and it's just like whoa and then katie's there like who are you <laughs> also sorry i would just like to highlight an amazing line from katie which i think was the funniest line from the film in this scene when <laughs> when she sat on the bus next to sean and there's the girl sat across from them writing her thesis on her laptop <laughs> and katie goes look at that girl she is writing her thesis on the bus that is exactly the daughter that my mum wished hopped out of her vagina I was like, <laughs> <laughs> that reinforces what we just talked about as well yeah, i just thought that was so like that like you and you see that girl like you see you do see her around riding her thesis on a bus and she gave us yeah that other moment of comic relief mm. and then there's also the guy filming isn't there He's like, hey, <laughs> like what's up guys this is uh whatever instagram live and, <laughs> and he's like oh money on bus boy and then the guy whips out his sort his knife arm doesn't mm, he big old like big guy with missing arm goes with a knife he comes from the back of the bus doesn't yeah, he yeah he's, he, he's sat at the back of the bus from the start he's just sat there like really cool looking like the whole scene and then he just stands up he's really tall really butch guy and he, he he starts cutting up the the bus and like the the stretchy bit of the the bus comes apart and obviously shang chi being shang chi he wants to save the people on the bus from dying or any or getting hurt so he has this plan of getting everyone to the front of the bus and getting the bad guys to the back of the bus and then telling katie on his signal to turn hard right and he does it he fights them to the back of the bus and then gives her the signal by pulling the stop signal on the bus. and he does this jump into the other section of the bus and the whole thing comes apart and yeah that's a really cool scene but then because the knife guy he's cut the brake fluid and the bus can't stop it's hurtling down big big 
big roads in San Francisco it is a very hill, hilly place, like very steep hills and stuff in San Francisco. And Katie has this idea of brushing up against these cars to to slow down and they're like all these expensive cars and stuff and the bus is just going over them and then expensive that went over my head actually yeah yeah they were like sports cars and stuff and yeah she goes over them destroys them completely (laughs) and then there's the bus driver to her right isn't there yeah (laughs) (laughs) how did you how did you find her comedy sort of throughout the film what did you, how, how did you find it? Do you think it worked 100% of the time? Like, did you love her character? Like, what did, what did you think? To begin with, I thought, yeah, she's been thrown in there as this comedy relief that not necessarily will always work comedy-wise. But mm. getting into the film and, you know, her character does progress quite a lot. Uh, so she, she not only progresses from the comedy relief, but she turns into, like, quite a vital part of the dynamic of the film. Like, there's a scene later on where, she actually learns to shoot a bow she learns like archery and she makes this one in a million shot to help shang chi like kill this soul-eating dragon isn't soul-eating it soul-eating dragon from like mythology and stuff like that uh, i believe it's called dweller in darkness from tao lo i was just gonna say that for me in the beginning with aquafina her like they call it like her style persona don't they but for me, her character in Crazy Rich Asians, which I'd watched recently before, sort of leaked into the film for me at first. So I, I did a little bit of this on sort of my degree about how characters bring, sorry, actors bring your perspectives of their most famous characters into the films you watch them in. So for for example, if you see like Denzel Washington, like as soon as you watch the film, you know, it's like an action film. And that's mm. why I sort of explored that in my um, criticism of Malcolm X that, because they chose Denzel Washington for Malcolm X, he became sort of a more aggressive character, like just by the choice. But sorry, back to Aquafina. If anyone's watched Crazy Rich Asians, she's like this so over the top character who just sort of like makes these like crazy jokes. She's meant to be completely crazy. Like she just, yeah, yeah Crazy Rich Asian. <laughs> she just like runs around and like shouts and like, I don't know, gets into parties that she shouldn't, does all these like sort of... um really like far out things and sort of at first in the film that kind of leaked through to me I was like oh no not her <laughs> I can't deal with these like cheap jokes mm. she grew on me a bit and then I guess yeah we're sort of moving we'll get onto this a little bit later but when we get to the sort of second half of the film and there's sort of like in this magical land she felt a little bit out of place for me there and that's when I was a bit like Ooh, and like especially at the end when she goes through that portal with him it was really interesting to see something new where we were put in the film almost I feel like she's a representative for us like you like you saying like generationally she's a very relatable character like no she doesn't write her thesis on the bus like yes she does stay out late and I feel like we've seen this shift in Marvel since like Thor Ragnarok where it's trying to become more relatable and like more funny and mm. we sort of saw that with her but at times, like, she did take away from the magic of the film a little bit for me with this, like, really, really complex world and she was in it and then, I don't know, did you experience that all? Or do you think she just added to the magic for you? Um, yeah, she did kind of take away from the magic in a way because, obviously, she's just a normal human being. There's no... She didn't grow up in, in this organization of kung fu and martial arts people and his father her father's not this like conqueror from thousands of years ago she's just katie from san francisco (laughs) she's an american so she's stuck out yeah but i think it was a good thing in a way kind of grounding what Mm. the magical stuff we were seeing this all these like magical beasts and all these magical weapons and stuff like that this big big dragon soul-eating dragon and like mini soul-eating things and then Mm. also the the good dragon had to be kind of counteracted with just a normal human being who would never have experienced any of that so yeah i think think she was she was just right really i think i think she was just a little bit wrong for me I can yeah I do hear what you're saying but I think she also just I think serves like quite a literal role in the film as being the questioner the person who explains Mm. things when you don't know what's going on which means a lot of her lines are like expositional dialogue so it just demonstrates what's happening in like quite an obvious way so I think if you watch like clips of her she's like oh my god there's a soul-eating dragon over there like something like that (laughs) I like just 
doesn't really like add to the complexity of her character. It just sort of like makes her look a bit silly at times. Cause I think of course they've got quite a wide audience and like, I guess like a lot of young kids as well who mm. aren't going to pick up on like the subtler sort of elements of the film. So they need this character to explain it to them. And I think that's where I was a bit like, oh, this is a bit silly now. But sorry, we've come away from the block well, haven't we? No, it's and fine, yeah. Next, they go to China, don't they? So it's Mac- Macau, which is a city in a special region of China. Um, they go to the address that's on the postcard. If you remember from the, before when we mentioned it, there's an address on a postcard. They go there and they, they go to, they find out it's this big fighting arena, basically, where they there's like cameos from from black widows from you know the solo black widow film there's one in there she's fighting oh, a magician oh, the magician. I, I, I thought you were gonna say black widow was in there i was like no, no, a we... black widow oh okay. so in the the black widow solo film have you seen that no i haven't okay i, w- I won't say anything else then <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll put it. I'll put it on my watch list. Yeah. I was like, "Hey, Black Widow, what's that?" And I'm, I'm sure I'll, I'll find out this evening. I have to watch it now. Yeah. Um. So yeah, little like fighting rings and stuff like that, and glass case boxes where they have little fights. And it turns out that Shang Chi signed something in the elevator, and it turns out he signed up to fight in in the main arena. Always read the terms and conditions. Yeah, never just sign. <laughs> you could be signing your life away. It could be signing to, to fight someone in a big ring. Is this the year of teaching us not to sign things with Shang-Chi and skip Squid Game? That's what <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> they they go up. He's now contra- contracted to fight. He gets in the ring. They take his shirt off. And he's and called Bus Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Bus Boy. Um, <laughs> and uh, Katie's like, where's your shirt? <laughs> he does look good, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a Marvel film. He has to yeah yeah that's what the press ups at the start of the film indicated to and then yeah sorry no no i was just about to say like yeah obviously his sister comes out did you did could you tell before because that's what that was why i'm that annoying person in the film who i like to say things before they happen so i can be like i knew all along Mm. so i was like oh my god it's gonna be his sister did did you have that moment before she came out i knew yeah you knew yeah all all of the the like the hints were there and obviously when when the hooded fig came out it was a feminine figure if you will you could see it was underneath and then takes it down we don't know straight away that it, who it is but then shong chi is like starts fighting her and you during this fight you get get little hints and stuff of they actually know each other and turns out it's his sister so yeah they, they fight um, and shong chi loses mm. to his sister who also trained to fight back in in the compound that they both grew up in she actually she actually taught herself secretly to fight because of because of shang chi was after his mother died by a group of of men just coming in and killing his mum after she gave up her powers Uh, i assume it's like a rival organization came and killed killed her for because they wanted to wasn't it i think they said yeah like this is payback but I was just going to say that what I did like about the fight between Shorty and his sister was I think normally when I see like man versus woman fights in films I'm a bit like oh like you know they have to do it quite carefully I think because it's yeah it's difficult to do it in a way that doesn't make you feel like oh this is a man hitting a woman but Mm. then also like they are equally trained and but then like you shouldn't hit girls and like you shouldn't hit anyone really but (laughs) and I think they did it in a way that like didn't make me feel weird, which is easily done for me during fight scenes. So, okay. yeah. And then they sort of, then they go up to that room, don't they? And then, dun, dun, dun. It's the 10 rings, the 10 they, rings. The postcard wasn't from his sister. Plot twist. <laughs> it's from the 10 rings and it was a trap. And this whole big chaos scene erupts where alarms go off in the comp, in the, the fighting area. Everyone's trying to get out. Shang-Chi's sister, Zhu Xiling, she like escapes through a secret secret door, leaving Shang-Chi and that, Katie. That was savage. When it just yeah, that was. There's a scene before where she's like, I love your leggings. She's like, thanks, like I got them from here or something like that. <laughs> and suddenly she disappears behind yeah. this wall. And Katie was not happy. And then 
the only way that they can get out is through a window, through scaffolding and stuff like that. And this big, crazy fight scene like starts on the scaffolding when Chung chi and Katie are trying to get down it. And My then... fear of heights made it difficult for me to watch this, really? this scene. Oh. I was like, oh, you know when you have <laughs> those videos come up on um, social media and it's someone like free running with like a GoPro on their head. Mm. I got kind of like that. Like it made me a bit queasy. <laughs> did a good job yeah this is like a slightly more chaotic fight scene for me i think to follow because i think is it our fight it's our well we had the one in the ring obviously but it's our like our big plot line fight scene after the one where with his mum and his dad at the river and i don't know it was just it felt more like classic like i've seen this a million times before kind of fight scene saying that to to go off of that the fighting styles and stuff in Shangxi, the uh, director destin daniel creton uh he actually said that his influences come from like jackie chan style fighting jet lee fighting and like classic martial art films mm. of those those times so saying that that fight scene is like more of stuff we've seen before that's like the influence and the the homage to the old homage, great words, homage <laughs> To, to the old fighting of Jackie Chan and Jet Li and, you know, like, IP Man, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, that yeah, that was a great pickup from you. It was remi- it also reminded me of... Oh, that's something of, of Tenet. It reminded me of Tenet. Have you, have you had the, the, the displeasure of seeing Tenet? Wait, you didn't like it? Hold on. No, stop. <laughs> you know, we might have to do this in another episode. Yeah, this is, this is a whole, whole rabbit hole. <laughs> There's so many things to say about Tenet. But, you know, when he goes to visit um, the, de- like, not the dealer, the, um, I think he goes to India to go and meet somebody who, like, sells weapons of some mm-hmm. sort. And he thinks it's going to be the man and then it's the woman. And then there's that whole, like, it reminded me of that when they were all up there. But then also, yeah, I think some of the, like, older, like, Jackie Chan films I've seen, it was, it was I think it was a bit dark as well. I think uh, maybe yeah, my... It, it, it's dark and the building is obviously glass and it's, like, reflective. There's some mm. cool, cool shots of the glass and it zooms out and it's actually the reflection that they're fighting in. And it zooms out and it, like, focuses back onto the actual fighting. I don't know wow. if you picked that up or not. No, I was just like, what's going on? <laughs> a lot does happen during it, yeah. And then and then they sort of, um, you think he's about to die, don't you? That yeah. like freaky guy who like used to punch him when he was mm. like a child, which he's is like, what Yeah, And then I think his sister comes in and returns to help. And because Katie, she she's on a bamboo stick. Oh, like, yeah. Like that, and... Uh, and then that, there's the like, and then that sort of all happens. They like do the classic Marvel thing where apparently two of them is worth like a thousand soldiers. Yeah. And then they sort of come through, then they sort of like land on this like platform, like back in the building. Yeah. And there's like one of them's about to kill the other one. And then suddenly footsteps, dun dun dun, it's Wen Wu. And he uses the rings as well. Yeah. And he's like, and what does he say? He's like, I told my men they couldn't kill you if, if, if they, they tried. tried. Yeah. I'm glad you've like kept up to my expectations, which is just like, hello, dad. Like, <laughs> you know, just such a horrible thing. I feel like that just was just testament to his expectations of Shang-Chi nearly killing him mm. over and over again. And then they go back to their home, don't they? And he's yeah, the compound that they grew up in. They're, they're in that like little room and then there's this like gorgeous like water map. He takes the two pendants to mm. basically explain why he's needed them puts them in this wall and um, this like water map shows up to show where his mum is from. So we sort of touched on this at the beginning when Wenwu meets um, Shang-Chi's mum, Yingli, he's trying to get into her magical world to sort of take something from there. It's suggested that he's doing something bad, but we don't really see it then. And this is sort of the first bit in the film where we see like just quite how amazing it could be. But the problem is Wenwu thinks that his wife is being held hostage because, and at first I I believed him actually. I was inclined, I'm a bit of a conspiracy theorist, I think in my mind. So I was sort of willing, wanting to believe that even though he was the villain and I thought, oh, maybe it's another twist. And he's like, she's calling that her people have her trapped there. And they're like, mum's dead. But then he's like, yeah, but she's magical. So for me, I was a bit like, ooh, could be, couldn't be. Like, did, did you think that that was just absolutely not true as soon as no, you heard it? I did not believe him at all. Did you not? I no. really 
I thought there was like, there was something there. And then they go to dinner, don't they? And he's like, hey, Katie, like, what's your Chinese name? Like, you should know your Chinese name, which I thought was like, probably the only time race is sort of discussed in like, obviously in the film. I can't think of another time they talk about it. Because obviously it's, you know, it's important. It's an important film because it's the first sort of Asian-led superhero Marvel film. But their race isn't part of necessarily like, I mean, there's like this, the second generation sort of immigrant sort of things and connecting with your heritage that I thought they did quite well. But there's no like, you don't see like overt racism in the film. Like they're living their lives as they choose to. Someone ch- chats back to him and he chucks him in the dungeon with the weird British guy. Trevor Slattery. When I first watched the film, I didn't realise he'd come from Iron Man 3. I was like, who is this man? (laughs) That was when the glass really started to shatter for me. I was like, this is a really beautiful, amazing film about like divine femininity, toxic masculinity. And then these two like weird characters are here making these with this weird expositional dialogue and jokes. Like he really didn't work for me in the film. I did not like him there at all. Did did you like him there? So I think it was purely for callback to Iron Man, Iron Man 3, because in Iron Man 3, uh, Aldrich Killian, he like masquerades as the Mandarin and like mm-hmm. uses it, like abuses his name basically to, to terrorize the world when in fact he wasn't actually the Mandarin. Yeah, we should probably say that in the beginning, in the sort of intro, um, when they're showing us like Wenwu's life, he's like, he's been called many things throughout his life, like the Tang Rings, like the Emperor, like the Mandarin, because... Um, Basically, that was part of the comics, but Marvel just sort of wanted to hide away from that. So at first in Iron Man 3, if anyone hasn't seen it, the whole thing is that they're fighting against the Mandarin. And then, sorry, spoiler alert, (laughs) there was no Mandarin. It was just this random guy making these like at-home videos who was hired by someone else to masquerade as the Mandarin. And um, a lot of people, there was quite a lot of backlash after that came out that Marvel had written out the only sort of Asian you know villain that they could have had even though he was sort of like entrenched in sort of racist tropes so then this was kind of like the apology I think that they were like oh actually that wasn't true like he actually is true and he's here and we've made him better now I thought that was like it was they were doing intellectual somersaults I think with that bit (laughs) trying to sort of be like oh we did this thing but we said it wasn't true but actually that wasn't true and now we're back and here he is and he just seemed I guess, yeah, he, I was going to say he seemed out of place, but I guess not really. Like, there's, he is kind of similar to Katie in that he's just sort of like a fun-loving, like, kind of grounded guy who's like, this is weird, like, mm. that this is happening. But I don't know if I can quite, like, connect with that in, in, like, fantasy generally. Like, it was quite, like, self-reflective. Like, those two characters for me, like, really undermined the film. It was in quite a funny way that they're like, this is weird. But... I don't know. Again, like I said, I feel like it just took away from the magic a little bit. I did like his little faceless piggy thing, though. That Which was, very was actually vital to getting to Taolo. Because the little well, yes. little pig, elephant, whatever thing it is with wings, knew of a way to get home. And it mm-hmm. wanted to return home. And it was communicating with Trevor Slattery. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we get to the forest where previously we had seen in the fight with Wenwu and his wife. or future wife it's like a continuously moving forest where if you get trapped in it basically you'll probably never find your way out and the only way through it is certain time of day at a certain time of year you follow this path so they're following this path and they they get through it it's a bit of a, a car scene where they're racing through the forest they get through to the end luckily uh and then they drive through a port like a really cool effect of a portal into like this tunnel and they drive out the tunnel and it's like a scene from like Jurassic Park or something like that where there's just these mythological creatures on the left and the right and they're you know like the three-tailed foxes and stuff like that and it's just like wow is this real has this like really existed this whole time just in a a different world basically. I I liked that the the creatures there were quite original though because I think Marvel's had quite a lot of criticism that it always follows like very similar things. Like there's a there's a good guy, there's a bad guy, yeah. there's a beam in the sky, then there's loads of faceless creatures on flying jet skis. And it was nice to not have that in this. Like the, mm. they got, obviously like the graphic designers obviously had like, or not, or not graphic designer, cartoonists, I should say. Um, sorry, that's me coming from my world, but they actually had like a lot of fun with it. And I like the characters. And then they sort of drive the car. The journey was a little bit easy, I thought, a little bit easy, but 
then they drive up don't they and sort of to this clearing where they can see the rest of the village yeah they get out of the car all the villagers are armed up afraid if it's like intruders or you know just to defend their village in Taolo. Shang-Chi and his sister get out of the car and their aunt is there. Their aunt is still alive and she recognises them. Then this whole like scene where they do a lot of like backstory talking about the dweller from the darkness. They talk about that and that the uh, mystical dragon fought it back into this big, big old seal in the mountain. What do you think that is? I was thinking about it. Is it like... You know, like when you watch Hercules, like there's like the little bubble, that, like the little bubble cage in the sky that mm. they go in. Like, what's actually behind there? They, we don't know, do we? It's just, no, we it's just, just it, when it opens, bubble. it's like just black and like dusty. So yeah, who knows what's in there? There's kind of a door, isn't there? But it's kind of like mapped out in the rock, isn't it? Yeah, but it's like a big, big, big round seal kind of thing. But it's like, mm. it's made of scales. Because all their armour is made out of the scales as yeah. well, isn't there? They bestowed so, the, it bestowed upon them a gift of the armor. He's got a lot of scales. <laughs> yeah, to still be alive as well to you know give away scales. I know. Maybe maybe it's just like in the winter when he sheds oh, in the summer <laughs> when he sheds his winter coat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they do. But yeah, they're looking at that like beautiful. It's gorgeous. Yeah. I hope it's real. It's like this carved wood with all of these different pictures in it. When I was watching it, I was actually thinking like of all like all the like temples I've been to when I've been on holiday, and they've like had these gorgeous like carvings on the side and I just hadn't really paid much attention to them or whether they had a story in them but I know next time mm. when I see them I'm going to try and study it so thank you Marvel yeah and then Shang-Chi he like trains with his aunt basically and they they do this like like in the opening scene basically a really well choreographed dance fight she basically uses the same moves that his mum did and teaches him wind powers in a mm. way for me the moment that like really really affected me was when he's like getting ready to fight and she comes and like undoes his hand oh, mm. I she just feels tearful thinking about it now he had the wrong chance to fight he was more aggressive yeah like, with his story. No. so I realized not everyone can see us so <laughs> she had a fist and then his aunt when she was teaching him how to fight in this like beautiful dance scene like un- unclenched his fist basically and showed him that it's not all about destruction like there's some real beauty in it and that was when I just like oh I burst into tears I just thought it was such a beautiful and subtle way to convey like how masculinity can become toxic and like it's such a small way that just like really really affected me and I think it was that they were just doing these dancing I call them dancing these fight scenes so much more beautifully than I'd ever seen before it was a bit like watching like hidden tiger crouching dragon yep. it was a bit like watching something like that with these like beautifully choreographed scenes but yeah that that moment was really really special to me and then Katie discovers her sudden one second amazing power that she worked really really hard on doesn't she yeah when they first arrived at the village and they did all the preparation stuff she helped a woman pick up some arrows that she dropped and the uh, old woman gave her the rest of them and told her to go put them in in the archery range and she went over there and she basically started to practice and then that's when like the sort of four trucks roll up when Wu is a little bit further behind um shong chi because they had obviously the little faceless adorable thing to guide them and um then Wenwo comes through and um, they sort of get out of their cars and um, in like true like macho fashion, they have these like four like hench trucks and then they're like Jeeps, I think. They're like um, off-terrain, like four by four Jeeps and they get out of them and they sort of walk towards them and there's a conversation between Wenwu and the auntie. He says like, this is your last chance, like you need to give me my wife back, like I need ex- access to her. And the auntie says, you know, that's the, the dweller of darkness is telling you this, like it's not real, it's not true. They basically just start fighting the, yeah. the village and then Wenwu's henchmen, they pair off and fight basically. And, and Shang-Chi goes after Wenwu and they they meet in a temple where there's a shrine of his mum and then when we uses the t- 10 rings like and, and i think this battle is also s- sort of supercharged because the night before he says to aquafina i'm gonna kill him yeah do you remember they're sort of sat looking out on the water and he yeah. starts to just look like he's just sort of you know not in a very good place you sort of see his like mental health deteriorate and just like and just become filled with rage and confesses that he did kill that man his father sent him to kill so way back in the beginning they talk about um 
Shang-Chi's sort of history and why he fled and why he left. He explains this to Aquafina on the plane. And he says his dad sent him to kill the man who killed his mother. And he says to Aquafina that he doesn't do it. Sorry, Katie, that he doesn't do it. And then he confesses at this part in the film that he actually did do it, that he actually did kill a man. And that was when he just had to leave that whole life behind because obviously it was just quite a traumatic thing and he felt so bad for doing it and he says he confesses to that night and he's sort of like this is who I really am and um that's why their sort of fight is like has extra suspense because you're like he, he's gonna kill him this isn't you you think for a moment this isn't gonna end like Marvel films normally do where you know it's it's kind of all I don't know not all right I think what I find good about Marvel films is that there's not too much gore that's what I like with a lot of action films when I watch them I'm like oh like I can't I can't watch this where I feel like I, I sort of started with Captain America where he, you, they, they sort of fight with their forearms, don't they? And um, yeah, then he, he throws him into the water and he starts to sink, doesn't he? And I thought he was going to die. But I didn't yeah. really think he was going to die. Obviously but not, they, yeah. They manage to string you along though, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, after he's, uh, Shang-Chi's in the, the water and he, it looks like he's drowning, he's sinking to the bottom. When Wu uses the rings and and goes over to the seal that's holding the dweller, and he starts like he does he a Mario style jump, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he just goes, <laughs> it's pretty cool. And then he when he lands, he goes like that just to soften the landing. It's cool. Oh, that was pretty good audio. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he he actually hears his wife. He's like she tells him to open it up and and come get her or let her out or whatever but it's actually the dweller in the darkness manipulating him again so he, he starts pounding on it to open it which then le- lets out the little tiny soul suckers that go over to the, the fight and you know their, i hope that's their official name the i don't know suckers. what the <laughs> soul suckers <laughs> little, little minion things yeah yeah so they start taking souls back to the dweller to like feed it up and make it stronger and stuff uh and while this is happening, Shang-Chi's in the water still. The, the Great Protector shows it, itself to Shang-Chi and lifts him out of the water, basically. Yeah, that's the dragon, by the way. There's just <laughs> me, it's the good dragon and the bad dragon. <laughs> but also the Great Protector and the Dweller in Darkness. In Darkness, yeah. In Darkness. In Darkness. And uh, yeah, so Shang-Chi's not drowning anymore. He's, he's riding this dragon, the good dragon. They're just basically flying around the sky and then these little... The soul suckers, the little ones, start attacking the Great Protector. That's when uh, Aquafina's Katie has her uh, awesome one in, one in a million arrow shot. She, well, she wouldn't have. She couldn't yeah. have. Like I did such a huge eye roll at that moment in the film because of, I felt like the plot kept having to have a reason for her being there. So I think you get a few of those moments where I think that's when she started to sort of, I was just like, oh, I'm not sure about this. Like with the arrow, like, Obviously, she couldn't have done that. Like, she started yesterday. And then, like, when she's having dinner with Wenwu in the middle, because she's just gone with Sean there for, like, pretty much no reason. <laughs> she's gone with him. And she sat down with, to have dinner with Wenwu. And he's like, so, like, what's your Chinese name? And then he's like, oh, like, where did you grow up? This narcissist who's, like, obviously sexist, like, doesn't ask his daughter a single question, but then is suddenly interested in this woman who is the guest. I thought, like, I thought there were a few, like, points where I was a bit like we as an audience didn't really want to acknowledge she shouldn't really be there <laughs> so you put these like random pl- plot points in to sort of include her because yeah she does the shot and then they sort of get all the little soul suckers off the great protector but then at the same time it's just gotten enough souls hasn't it the dwelling yeah. darkness to burst out because uh when we're still there sort of banging on the door the dweller in darkness comes out and the great protector attacks it pretty much right away basically because obviously it it and it like sealed it away in the first place anyway so who better to to fight it than the great protector again shong chi he starts fighting when Wu basically uh and then cool cool scene where they're both fighting and then when Wu uses all 10 rings and attacks shong chi and like you think he's dead, but in the mist, all you see is just these orange rings come round. And then, well, the, then the, the Dweller in Darkness takes um, Wenwu and kills him. And there was a moment when Shang-Chi could have saved him, and he didn't. He sort of, like, turned to ice almost, like, a bit like, I don't know if you try and cross the road and there's a car there, I just, like, go, like, oh, I just freeze. <laughs> and then when I should be running back, and I, I connected with Shang-Chi in that extremely different um example but i don't know i thought we, i 
got the impression that he wanted him to die. That mm. this was like, I don't know, like he could have saved him and didn't. What did you think? Yeah, I think all the uh, like history they've had together, mm. what when we did to Shang-Chi basically turned him into a weapon. He he let him die. But so I feel like that doesn't normally happen in Marvel movies. Like like when I watched um I watched Spider-Man Far From Home over the weekend. And I feel like they always go like, they like to make sure their characters go above and beyond to do the right thing, even mm-hmm. if it's not the easiest thing. I don't know. And they didn't make a big deal out of it. I don't, I don't know if this is just me, but I would have thought if he had, if he had let his dad die, there would have been a moment where he'd been like, I did this, like this was a terrible thing, but it just sort of happens. And then, I don't know, and then it's over and then they don't really return to it. So maybe it wasn't intentional, but it seemed to me like he let him die. Well, I mean, Shang-Chi set out basically to kill him, didn't he? So mm. I think, in a way, having not killed him but not saved him, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's that. That was kind of okay for Shang Chi to to think in a way. Oh, as in it's definitely more than okay. It's just, <laughs> I mean, I'm not not that I agree with letting people die, <laughs> but in the context of this film, I just thought, yeah, I thought it was interesting because normally by the end of the film, like the, these characters have such perfect moral centers, and it seemed like. He just quite didn't. But then I, I think that's why he's sort of, a, he's a different mold of character, I think, that we'll see a lot more of from the Marvel Universe. This like very normal guy who's like, has these amazing things, but isn't, but I guess we kind of saw him, I, now I'm saying it, it's making me think of Ant-Man actually. He's just kind of like a normal, like mm. flawed human. Cause I think everybody just got tired of the sort of perfect Captain American guy. I'm a, I'm ashamed to say he was my favorite Avenger when I was a kid. <laughs> no. And then what happens next? So when Wu dies, he basically drops all ten rings. Uh, Shang Chi takes the ten rings. They do like a big move into the air because like the Dweller in Darkness starts sucking the Great Protector's soul out. Basically, for me, this fight scene. I wasn't like very invested in. I was much more interested in the fights or going on land. So the film kind of cuts between the two of them. So it's some of them, a lot of people die though. It's a lot of people on the land getting their like faces sucked off and fighting. Cause there's quite a comical moment where just as the, you know, the big fights sort of starting to happen and the villagers are fighting against the 10 rings they're like you need you've never seen anything like this in your life before you need to join forces with us and fight him not him the dragon the bad dragon and they're like no and then one little flappy soul sucker comes and sucks someone's face off and they just instantly they're like okay (laughs) they just ditch where and join with them and there's more for me there was more interesting stuff sort of happening over there and I could see what was happening more clearly. And then it would cut to this big dragon scene, which like just seemed sort of computer generated, like wasn't really happening. And they were kind of just fighting in like a really like, I don't know, tame way. I just wasn't, I just wasn't really interested in, as much in it. Cause for most of it, Shang-Chi and his sister are just on the dragon's back, like not really doing anything. They're just sort of there for the ride. Or anything. that's what I thought they were, they weren't actually properly fighting the dragon. And I was just like, why are they up there? And then, Aquafina shoots her, yeah, one in a million um, <laughs> arrow, and then Shang-Chi starts fighting the dragon, and they, and then he does this like m- mad move. And... Yeah, like Shang-Chi's like falling, and he's doing like some mid-air martial arts stuff, like controlling the rings. He's like spinning it, the rings inside of the Dweller in Darkness, and then basically does this big Kamehameha move from like Dragon Ball, and he it just explodes the Dweller, and yeah. Everything else like really just dies afterwards. And then I think we cut to them at dinner and drinks again with their friends. And they're sort of retelling this story, just in quite like sort of like funny terms, like there was this big thing and then that and then blah, blah, blah. But like one of my favorite scenes in Marvel was when in Ant-Man, his friend, his sidekick is telling the story and you can see all of the characters' mouth moving. Yeah. You hear his voice. That was, I thought that was absolutely genius. It's like that kind of vibe, like it's kind of a joke. And their friend and her partner who they'd been for dinner with at the beginning and she'd criticised them for not being grown up enough. It's like, oh, great joke. Like, I get it. Like, you just wanted to show me that I was, you know, criticising you, blah, 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 blah. They're like, no, 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 it's true. She's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Then suddenly enter Wong <laughs> and he pops through with a portal and he's like, oh, is that Shang-Chi? Do you have the time rings? Like, we need you. And they sort of step through. And um, then they're having they're having this like meeting 
with I guess like the new Avengers, the ones whose contracts haven't run out. Yeah, it's so like got, Bruce Banner and Carol Danvers. Yeah, it's the Hulk and um, Captain, Captain Marvel. Marvel and Wong and then Shang-Chi and Aquafina. And they're just having this like sort of mediocre kind of chat about like, oh, where have these rings come from? And then they're like, we need you, Shang-Chi. And then suddenly Captain Marvel has to go and the Hulk is like, welcome to the Avengers. But he's he, not I think the line he says, welcome to the circus. That's it. And I saw a tweet that said this, that um, the Marvel end credits could have been an email. And that just made me laugh so much because <laughs> it, it was kind of unnecessary. Yeah. And then um, the film ends and we go to another end credit credits where Shang-Chi's sister was supposed to have shut down the Ten Rings. And it cuts to her sort of looking through her bedroom and she's looking at all these like little like reminders of her childhood. And it seems quite nice. And she leaves and then she sort of sits in like the most badass fashion on this chair, like crossing both of her legs across the table on the camera pans out and you can see she hasn't shut down the tone rings there's loads of people fighting and training there's but actually like not... loads more women as well there's like women oh, is fighters. There? I didn't yeah, look yeah. she's oh, got like know. loads of women fighters so and i think the song playing is like cardi b or someone like that oh nice nice our queen <laughs> <laughs> and it's ambiguous enough that you're like is she going to be his new nemesis in the next film and that was my instant thought but the person I was with, like, oh, like, maybe she's rebuilt it to be, like, because, you know, her, like, fight league that she started is gone. So it's not 100% clear if it's necessarily a bad thing. But I think if she's hiding it for me, that suggests she's about to turn evil. And I think that would be quite a good film. And then we get to the end. So what did you think? Personally, I loved the film. Mm-hmm. It's always enjoyable. It's definitely a rewatchable film. It doesn't have huge ties into the, like, extended Marvel universe. So you you don't necessarily to have to watch every Avengers film or any, you know, all the other films to to you know sit down and watch this. It's very separate from that, apart from the occasional cameos from like Wong, the Abomination, Hulk, and Carol Danvers. Yeah, I really enjoy it. It's a good film. Mm, I think my only problem with the film was how it explores masculinity. That was something that I wasn't. I, uh, I just thought was a bit, I don't know. It's definitely something that I've, I've seen sort of emerge more that masculinity is inherently bad unless it's corrected by femininity. That was a sort of message throughout the film that all of the bad men just hadn't had a woman to fix them and that femininity is divine and like naturally divine and always, always good. And it's the, you know, the sort of job of women to fix all of these men and it's the job of the men to, you know, allow these women to fix them. I thought that for me, I'm not, I don't, I don't believe that. Like, I think there is sort of natural good in men. And basically the film was suggesting that natural to- masculinity is toxic masculinity rather than natural masculinity converge onto toxic masculinity. That's sort of what I thought, and you sort of saw it with Shang-Chi that he was sort of trying to become this new man and you could see his journey was just completely changed by the women in his life. That's why I was I was wondering if it was a feminist film or not because it's sort of mostly through the guys, you know, the eyes of a man. And I think it is that these sort of women are the important figures in there and it sort of, it sort of shows and highlights and celebrates the power of like natural femininity, divine femininity. But I think it's at the expense of masculinity a lot of the time and I think, it was interesting because now what we're talking about kind of reminds me reminds me of last episode that um, she's got to have it opens with that um, that um, passage from her eyes are watching God, which talks about how men have their dreams and they can't capture them. And they wander around. However, women remember the things they want to they don't want to forget and forget the things they don't want to remember and how sort of. Yeah. And, and like how in there it's like um, there's two types of men in this world. There's like the the stupid men and the dog something like that I just think now that we're like looking at both of these films through like that sort of gender lens before we had sort of first wave feminism was trying to get women up to you know up to the like political level of men like having you know being able to have their own money being able to vote then we have second wave feminism that saw you know feminism as being equal to the man being equal to a man means being the same as a man so like for me like when I was younger, I was really celebrated for like, you know, getting muddy and like playing football, but I was never, no one was ever like, oh, well done. Like, you know, you're, you're taking care of yourself or whatever. And I feel like now the shift has gone the other way where 
now people are like, oh, you know, toxic masculinity, masculinity is a problem. For masculinity to not be a problem, it needs to be the same as a, as a woman or like sort of fixed by a woman. And I think, I don't think that's right. I think they're separate things and both have, you know, you can get toxic femininity as well. I just, I don't know. What, what do you think of that? Out of interest, is that something you picked up on? In the film, in Chongqi, kind of, obviously when Wu being the like epitome of toxic, you know, I mean, he essentially conquered kingdoms, governments, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And then he found a woman and basically stopped all of that. And then as soon as that woman died, he returned to that. And then he, he abused, essentially abused his, his son and his daughter to the point where they both left. Mm. And they so kind of... Feminine presence to fix him, he yeah. returns to his natural state, which is innately bad. That's the thing. I think for me, it suggested that masculinity is innately bad, which I don't think is true. No, I think in in the context of Wen Wu, I think he was just a bad person to begin with, mm-hmm. and and the Ten Rings and the power made him worse. And then meeting Mingli, mm-hmm. he he was reminded of his humanity rather mm-hmm. than you know a divine feminine figure. I think he was just reminded that he is actually human and that to be human is to allow that sensitivity and vulnerability. That's why he didn't use the rings during that period. And as soon as Ying Li Li did die, he went back to the ring straight away. Yeah, and they're they're not good for anyone, as we know. Yeah, I guess all the strong strong characters who are, are good are women. And uh, you have Shang-Chi, who's sort of like growing and learning, I think, but he's just completely led through women throughout the film, which I think is really, really nice. And it's a nice change. I think that's the thing that is a nice change compared to the other films. I think if you look at, I haven't seen the newest Black Widow, but if you look at sort of Black Widow's role in the Avengers, for me, I just I just really, really used to struggle with that in watching Marvel films, that all of the women have like they're running around with heels on like with like which is so impractical in these like tight like hyper sexualized costumes and why do they always fight with their legs why are they the only ones who fight with their legs they never fight with their arms they always fight with their legs <laughs> which i think is just like comes from the like how like hyper sexualized like female characters can be in comics so i think it is nice for it to be different but it's not without flaws that's yeah. kind of my thought so um, from from a like a quality perspective what would you give it oh i should have thought of this before it takes me ages to think of these um yeah from a diversity inclusion perspective i think i'm gonna give it a 3.5 maybe even a 4 3.5 because i think it's really really nice that we had our first asian lead However, I don't really think race was a big part of the film. So it was more like it was sort of removed from it. You know, they were just, it was one of those films where it was just all about sort of their culture. So you didn't really like explore it in the same way as Black Panther, that it's not, it's just not about race. Like they happen to be of that race, but it's not about that race, which I think is beneficial. And I think where we're sort of moving towards, but I think the only thing that's overshadowing it for me is this sort of like masculinity thing that I think, is often sort of left out of, you know, obviously they do have, uh, they are included in a lot of spaces, but I just think it's, you know, that there are a lot of problems that face men too. And I think that needs sort of discussion. So mm, maybe 3.75 on DNI. <laughs> what? <laughs> Am I not allowed that? No. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, 3.5, 3.5. Just to keep and it simple. For quality of film, I'm going to give it a four. I really, really enjoyed it. It's probably the most I've ever enjoyed a Marvel film, maybe. It was just, I think for me, it really like touched on that emotional side and I think explored family in a really, really powerful way that I think connects with everybody. I think everybody's had, you know, certain family members that things have been tricky and it did a really, really good job of exploring that. But then I'm removing a star just because that character at the end really, really annoyed me and some of Aquafina's plot points annoyed me. So <laughs> four and 3.5. What about you? Yeah, um, so quality-wise, I really enjoyed it. So a four. It's honestly one of the better Marvel films of, of the 22-plus films that are out there. I think we are in some of the greatest Marvel films at the moment being made phase four or whatever we're in currently really really good really enjoyable stuff exploring different characters that 
some people have never even heard of, which is great, especially Shang-Chi being Asian-led. So yeah, four for enjoyment. D&I, it was nice to see Mandarin being used in a mainstream film. And it was also nice to see like a lot of the mythology from their culture and the creatures, creatures within Taolo, you know, the, the three-headed fox and, you know, great protector and stuff like that. They're all based on mythological creatures. So I think on that front, it was nice to see, as we've been talking about the, the race and this sexuality stuff side of stuff and the feminist, feminist. It's a tricky word, isn't it? Femininity. Femininity. <laughs> of, of it all it could have been better there was you know the implication of a good woman can make a bad man good yeah obviously that not always true so yeah i think from from a dni standpoint three mm-hmm. but then also i think i thought the friendship thing was quite nice and then the actual sort of chinese language at the beginning was also nice so it's sort of it's sort of in, it's in the middle isn't it so i think a three is about right yeah um But yeah, thank you for listening, whoever's there. Um, (laughs) And we'll see you in the next episode.